Welcome to Generates to Four Stats Podcast. I am your co-host Brandon, and with me every week is Chase. What's going on, everyone? Each week, Chase and I talk sports, sports gambling, and fantasy football. Each week, we give you four unique stats. Some are meant to be informative, some are meant to blow your mind, maybe even controversial, and others are just conversation starters. This weekend, we are talking NFL coaches. We are going to shout out the NFL's most underappreciated coaches, while in the next breath, call for other coaches' jobs. We, of course, we have our daily fantasy lineups. Chase last week gave you the big score on week nine with Antonio Brown. We'll see if he can do it again. Plus, we have our against the spread pick for week 10. But before we get into all that, let's get Chase's thoughts of what happened over the weekend. How you doing, everyone? This weekend was fairly average weekend, even though there were a couple of upsets that surprised me. Uh, the Monday night game, San Diego loss. Also, Atlanta looks like they're tanking. Um, they're on their third loss in a row, and I'm surprised that they actually lost to the 49er team that actually benched their quarterback. So Blaine Gabbard actually shut us all up this week, actually, by pulling out a win on the West Coast. Also, I want to piggyback on my MVP award from last week. Cam Newton looked like a stud again this week, beating Green Bay. So I have to go out and say that Cam Newton's the champ until someone takes the crown from him. It's hard to argue with that. I definitely did not see Carolina winning that game in that convincing of a fashion. He looked like the better quarterback out there. It looks like he's on the best team, and uh, I'm really excited to see what this Panthers team can do in the playoffs. Yes, I hope they don't get there and choke, um, but... The way things are going, they have a solid defense, and then Cam Newton makes sure the offense goes. And did you see that catch by Greg Olson? That was definitely one of the top plays of the year. Uh, he he relies on Olson, but uh, it's you see Cam's ability to really throw the ball downfield and make plays. Uh, he's backing your argument up for taking him for the MVP. When I try to compare him to Kaepernick, and clearly that was that was uh, very unfair. I would like to also comment on your other your other opening thought is Blaine Gabbert did get the win, and I am also shocked by that. But again, he only scored 17 points. If any team can score against the San Francisco, Blaine Gabbert just doesn't have enough in him to, to lead his team to victory. Oh, I'm not. In, I'm not buying any Blaine Gabbert tickets or anything. But <laughs> I could. I, if they were 14 point underdogs, I would have wanted to take the other. T- I would have wanted to take Atlanta. So for him to pull out a win, it pretty much surprised me. It's definitely the surprise of the week. I think. Yeah, uh, I would agree with you there, and. That was a huge win by the 49ers, and I think it may be enough to keep Tom Sula off the hot seat. This episode, I do want to talk NFL coaches. Now, if we're going to go off the best coach, we would spend the entire episode talking about Bill Belichick. It's not really that argumentative to say he's the best coach in our lifetime. This is known, and here at Four Stats, we're not going to be mundane and tell you things that you already know. We want to shed light on things you may not be aware of. So yes, Bill Belichick is the greatest coach in the NFL, but this will really be his only shout-out during this episode. There are a lot of other coaches in the league that deserve attention. For instance, if it wasn't for our award show last week, I'd be talking about Wade Phillips and how phenomenal he is as a defensive coordinator. But I already covered him, giving him the best offensive acquisition award. Ron Rivera deserves a mention for the 8-0 Panthers. And of course, Mike McCarthy of the Packers has been fantastic. There's a lot of solid NFL coaches. Andy Reid, Pete Carroll, Mike Tomlin. All deserve recognition. But for our 30-minute show, we can't talk about all these guys. Is there any coach that stands out to you? There are a few that stand out to me, but I want to talk about Bruce Arians today, the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. Bruce Arians has been there for three seasons, and as you know, he has had a winning season, or maybe you don't know, but he's had a winning season every year that he has been there. But let me talk about Bruce a little bit, give you a little background about the guy to make you like him a little bit more. He was a starting quarterback at Virginia Tech, a flagship school that everyone knows, and we all love Peyton Manning. Or if you don't, you should. Peyton Manning's first quarterback coach. 
So right there, that gives you enough to let you know that he is a solid guy because Caden Payton Manning has gone on to be a world champion. Also, also when the head coach of the Colts, Chuck Pagano, went out due to cancer, Bruce Arians stepped in and led his team to a nine, led the team to a nine and three record, and also to the playoffs. And guess what? Payton Manning's replacement also was drafted that year. And guess who was working hands on as the offensive coordinator with him? Bruce Arians. A lot of people say that Bruce Arians is what you would call a player's coach. Uh, quoting one of uh, one of the NFL players, I don't want to say his names, they never had a person call them such a effort so many times, but hug him every time after he said it. So that gives you a perfect example that he's hard on you, but he lets you know that he's there with you. Another quote that I have is from Andrew Luck. It was third and three. Andrew Luck came to the sideline and looked at Bruce and asked, what's the play? He said, we're not running the ball. T.Y. has been hope open the whole game. Luck said, what do you want me to do? He said, are you going to throw a bomb? To, you want me to throw a bomb to him? He said, you're damn right. That's what I want you to do is throw a bomb to him. <laughs> and that's exactly what he did. And Luck said that taught him about the NFL. He said the NFL is about getting the job done, not taking bits and pieces, but getting the job done and being a winner. So just to piggyback on those things, uh, everyone around the NFL calls Bruce Arians the quarterback whisperer. And the name kind of fits. I just told you about Peyton Manning. I also told you about Andrew Luck. But let's talk about Ben Roethlisberger. He was also the offensive coordinator for the Steelers while Big Ben was going on his terror winning two Super Bowls. Well, actually, he only won one with Arians. But even still, uh, he was on the verge of winning another one. I believe they lost a Super Bowl, I want to say, to the Packers that year. But also, let's bring it to current time. Carson Palmer. He basically saved Carson Palmer's career. Carson Palmer thought his career was over, but he went to Arizona. Now he's back to playing to elite status. So with that being said, Bruce Arians is what we would call a motivator, but also he lets his team know that he's willing to go to battle with them. And his history has proven that he can get the job done. Uh, the most important player in the NFL is the quarterback. We all know that. So every coach that should be able to relate to a quarterback and also with him having success at the college level, he's also been able to be a player's coach far as he knows how to deal with he knows how to deal with the grown men, but also not treat them like kids. But he's also giving them their freedom because he knows that everybody wants a pat on the back. So I have to go with Bruce Arians. He's had a lot of success. I've never heard a player actually say a bad thing about Bruce Arians. Actually, it, it stands out how often his players gush over him at being the head coach. Uh, I feel like he does get the most out of his players. And it was really interesting to hear the stories that you told. I wasn't aware that he was Peyton Manning's uh, first quarterback coach. And to think of that he's had Roethlisberger. And Roethlisberger wasn't always this down-the-field spread offense uh it really was arians that brought that into pittsburgh and uh took roethlisberger to the next level they were a running team before he got there and then you have andrew luck and now you see you just already mentioned that he saved carson's career he he really should be considered one of the innovators of the modern day nfl uh, definitely. Everybody says the best thing that he brings to the game is his play action that's basically his thing he's the play action guru and as you can see, that's probably why Arizona has three solid running backs, because he knows that play action basically opens up the passing game. So they all say that he will play action you to death. If you ever get a chance to sit and watch any of his games, you'll notice that 
he's play actioning on passes that don't even need play action. It could be a two yard pass and he's faking it to the running back, but he really wants to get the ball down the field. But play action is his thing. Uh, that's basically his biggest notoriety in the NFL when it comes to something that you're guaranteed to see from Bruce Arians. I guess that's why his Arizona Cardinals are actually third in the NFL in yard passing yards of more than 20. Uh, 20 plus yards uh, most certainly most certainly uh, he's definitely a quarterback guy and he's definitely not going to hold any quarterback back he's not about game managing he's about making plays and that goes right back to my story that Andrew Luck told go ahead and get into our first stat of the day Bruce Arians first permanent head coaching job was with the Arizona Cardinals as an Arizona Cardinal he has a record of 27 and 13 that ranks him most amongst active coaches in the NFL with at least 40 games that gives him a winning percentage of 67.5%, and that's higher than the guru Belichick. Arians has had nothing but success since coming over to Arizona. Looking at his team right now, they get it done on the offensive side of the ball, but they also get it done on the defensive side of the ball. And point differential, they're plus 113, which is the second highest in the NFL, only trailing the Patriots. To put it in perspective, the Denver Broncos, who dominating defense and also a 7-1 record, have only outscored their opponents by 53 points on the year, yet the Arizona Cardinals' point differential is more than double that. So that really shows you the dominance of the Arizona Cardinals and how many points they can really put up. Yes, that surprised me. Uh, when I did a little bit more research on my man Bruce, I realized I thought that he would have been a defensive-minded coach uh, with him coming from the Steelers. Of course, he's always been an offensive coordinator and worked with the quarterback, but all of the teams that he's been with have always had solid defenses. So I guess that also carries on to what's going on with the Cardinals now. Yeah, he may not be just a one-trick pony. Uh, but let's talk about Marvin Lewis. He's going to be my head coach that I want to give a little attention to. He's been the head coach 13 straight years for the Bengals. That's the second longest tenure of any team, only behind Belichick. Hard Knocks gave us a glimpse of how this man handles his business, and it's hard not to love the guy. He's tough, yet compassionate. He gets the most out of his team, players like him, and he passes the eye test, unlike Atlanta's ex-coach Mike Smith when he was on Hard Knocks, who just didn't seem like an NFL coach. Marvin Lewis does. But it's more than the eye test or hearing players accounts. I don't know if people remember exactly how bad the Bengals were before Marvin Lewis. Uh, Marvin Lewis took over a Bengals team that was 2-14 and 14 in 2002. He led them to 8-8 eight and eight in his first year. And the Bengals 11 of previous years before Lewis, their best season was only 8-8. Eight and eight, And they only accomplished that once in those 11 years. From 1991 to 2002, the Bengals were a combined 55-153. and 153. Since Marvin Lewis has arrived, they have finished in the top half of the league a number of wins in 10 of the, his 13 years. They have finished in the top 10 best records in all of football in 6 of the last 7 years. There are only 1 of 4 teams to reach the playoffs each of the last 4 years. I just don't think that people remember that the Bengals were the laughingstock of the NFL and the difference maker has been Marvin Lewis. Marvin Lewis has definitely been the savior of the Bengals. And every year it always comes up that he should be on the hot seat. I know that he chokes in the playoffs, but let's talk about the entire season. You can't just sit be a what have you done for me lately. But Marvin Lewis record shows that he has definitely changed the regime down in down in Cincinnati. Before his arrival in Cincinnati, they had not won a division championship since 1990. And only you can only remember the glory days of the Bengals uh, when they used to actually be a competitive team. But now they're actually going to the playoffs and they have stars on that team. 
It's a franchise that used to be considered a bye week when teams played against them to now, you actually have to be prepared to play against this team. Uh, Marvin Lewis is a great coach. He's definitely hands-on with his players. And what I like about him the most is he always takes someone's junk and turns it into a treasure. For example, Pac-Man Jones, you might not know that he's still in the league, but he's actually a starting corner for the Cincinnati Bengals, and he still actually returns kicks, and he's one of the most dominant punt returners in the NFL. Uh, He doesn't mind giving people a second chance. He doesn't quit on his players, and I really do appreciate that from him. Pac-Man Jones has actually played more years with the Bengals than any other team he has in the league, and he's made a significant impact for them. Uh, You did say that he... Marvin Lewis team seemed to choke in the playoffs and I guess that that has been the reputation with him and Andy Dalton but I really think it's an unfair comparison because look who's in the AFC he has to run into Belichick and Tom Brady or Peyton Manning Andrew Luck there's just it's such a really tough it's such a competitive uh, conference that he really shouldn't be expected to have a winning record against these teams in the playoffs. Certainly, the AFC North was definitely the toughest division in the NFL for probably about a three-year time frame. People always fear playing the Steelers, the Ravens, and also the Bengals now. Not so much the Browns. But he's definitely survived through the times, and he's always on the hot seat, and he always proves all the critics wrong. I just don't think he should be on the hot seat anymore. Let me give you his record over the last four years. It's 39-16. and 16. He's 8-0 this year, 10-5 and 5 the year before, 11-5 the previous year, and 10-6 and 6 in 2012. 39-16, you should no longer be on the hot seat. We have all these great things that we can say about Marvin Lewis and how he's turned around this Bengals franchise, which he has turned around the entire franchise. But as well coached as his team is, Marvin Lewis should never be without a job in the NFL. His ability to draft and develop players is uncanny. That leads me into stat two. Of the Bengals' 22 offensive and defensive starters, 19 of them were drafted by the Bengals. All 11 starters on offense and 8 of the 11 starters on defense were drafted by the Bengals. This is ridiculously impressive, but I want to step it up a little bit more. Marvin Lewis is a defensive guy, right? He was the defensive coordinator when the Ravens won the Super Bowl in 2000, considered one of the best defensive teams ever. Like I said, 8 of the 11 starters on the Bengals' D was drafted by them. It's more impressive than that, though. All eight of those guys have been with this team for at least four years, and only one came from the first round. I just want to go through their lineup real quick and remind you where he got these players. Uh, Drake Kirkpatrick, his cornerback, was the first-round pick, but his safety came out of the fifth round. Uh, Michael Johnson, the defensive end, was a third-rounder. Carlos Dunlap was a second-rounder. His defensive tackle, Pico, was a fourth-rounder. Geno Atkins, one, considered one of the best defensive tackles in all the NFL, a fourth-rounder. Vontez Burfecht is one of the most violent linebackers in the game and makes a difference on this team. He was undrafted, and the Bengals signed him. You also have Ray Malaluga in the second round. He's just not taking first-round picks and getting the best out of them. He's drafted in all rounds and turned these guys into dependable starters in the NFL. Certainly, I agree with you there, except for Dunlap. He would have been a first-rounder if he wouldn't have gotten a little bit of trouble right before the draft. But I definitely agree with you there. He's definitely found a way to notice talent and also bring that talent to his team and make it work for him. Yeah, recognizing talent, getting the most out of players, the players wanting to play for you is exactly what a head coach is about. And I'm just not sure there's anyone better at that than Marvin Lewis, which is why I wanted to highlight him in this episode. Unfortunately for the NFL, not all coaches are as successful as Arians and Marvin Lewis. 
So let's go ahead and get some head coaches that we believe that should no longer have a job. Who's on your hot seat? I would have to go with the Cleveland Browns head coach, Mike Patine. It's his second year with the Browns, and I hate to say it, when a team doesn't have an identity, the first person I look at is their head coach, and I really don't know what the identity of that team is. I don't know if they're a passing team. I don't know if they're a running team. They're definitely good for some highlights. They can always land on SportsCenter because of a miraculous catch or something, but what is the identity of that team? Are they a defensive team? Are they an offensive team? Are they a throwing team or a running team? You really don't know. All you know is they're the Cleveland Browns, and more than likely, they're going to have a losing season. Also, what I don't care for so much about him is he's a defensive guy. And everyone says this year, only thing he's been focusing on is the offense. Last year, they were a solid team against the pass. They had Joe Hayden in the second, in the secondary, leading their secondary. And they also had um, Whitner, also known as Hitner, uh, that came for the 49ers. And they had a solid secondary that was solid against the pass. This year, they're not solid against the run or the pass on defense. And then he's putting all this emphasis on offense, but their offense is not any good. Uh, Of course, every now and then they'll have a few bursts. Also, another staple about coaches is who they hire as their coaches. And for you to draft Johnny Manziel in the first round, and you don't find a coach that wants to work with him and tries to build him into an NFL quarterback, then I'm kind of confused on what your plan is for the team. Just the other day, I read that they wanted to turn Johnny Manziel into a pocket passer. That's the same thing I heard about Robert Griffin. So basically, you're telling me that you're basically going to run your first round draft pick out of the NFL because that's not what he does. Wow. I I think you put it very well that an NFL coach's job is to give identity and leadership and both things that you hit on, he's failed to do. You're right. You have no idea what the Cleveland Browns are. Um, in my opinion, they have been a good defensive teams in years past. I wish they would have gave more of their coaches a little bit of longer leash, but I'm with you on this. Patine has to go. He, he isn't an NFL coach. The team is only looking worse year after year. You did mention he's an uh, he's a defensive-minded coach, yet everywhere he goes, he can't stop the run. We actually talked about this in another episode, and I'm just going to say, repeat the same thing. The Browns are dead last against the run this year. They were dead last against the run last year. When he was Buffalo's defensive coordinator in 2013, they were 28th against the run. And 2012 with the Jets, they were 26th against the run. So how can you be a specialist in defense, yet you can't do one of the biggest things that give your defense a chance to be successful in stopping the run? I I just don't understand that. Yes, I know this is his second year, and you try not to jump around, but it's time for them to go ahead and cut ties with him. They could even cut ties with him now. As you look at their season, the Browns really don't know what they want to do. The season's going to be a loss. It's a wash. But I just read the other day that they're going to go back to starting Josh McCown. Josh McCown's not going to save the season. Also, Josh McCown is not the future of your team either. So why don't you go ahead and invest in the individual that you drafted in the first round. I know I sound like a Johnny Manziel fan, but you have to give him a fair chance. Sometimes you have to throw a player to the wolves to see what he's made of, and they haven't thrown him to the wolves. They just slide him in every now and then to give the fans what they want, and then they pull a leash, kind of like the Sandman. I even agree with going back to McCown because I feel like I have seen enough for to know that Manziel is not going to be the franchise quarterback. But at the same time, what do you have to lose by playing him? But I think that even highlights uh, why Patine should be fired. And I do want to say that I want coaches to have at least two years. I actually love what the Bengals have done by sticking with Marvin Lewis when he did struggle in a couple of seasons. He did have three losing seasons. At the same time, you just can't see the, your franchise continue to go down the wrong path, and that's all you see. You, you talked about Manziel taking in the first pick. I actually went through 
since Patine has been there, I went through their NFL draft, and it's really an embarrassment. Last year, they took uh, Shelton at defensive tackle with the 12th overall pick. Right now, he has 14 total tackles. Uh, Pro Football Focus ranked him 63rd out of 65 defensive tackles that have played this year. This guy is the 12th round pick with a defensive coach, and he's one of the worst defensive tackles in, in football. They also had another first-round pick and took a center who's not even listed on the depth chart. Two years ago, they took a defensive back in the first. He's currently the third string. And then, of course, there's Manziel, who's technically his, their second string. So they've had four first-round picks in two years. Any head coach would die for that and see that as the opportunity to turn a team around. And all he's done is taken four really bad players that haven't made any impact on this team. It is time for Mike Patine to be fired. Yes, it's definitely time for him. And I don't think they should wait till Black Monday. I think they should let him go now. Save yourself the time. Shop around. See what you have. Start playing some of those backups to see what they could actually do because obviously the starters aren't getting the job done. So maybe you have some hidden talent. It's time to start evaluating. They should do that early. Yeah, I guess for the Browns, the only reason that they wouldn't do that is they have a reputation of not giving coaches a fair chance. Uh, I don't think they've had a coach that's had more has made it to the third season for three straight coaches now. And the coach before that was Romeo Cannell, who I believe was fired in his fourth season. Uh, so their reputation may be a reason why they can't attract, uh, attract top talent, but they do need to do something. Fortunately, we don't have to pick coaches in fantasy. Uh, so let's go ahead and get in our fantasy lineup for week 10. You did beat me last week to gain a, a gain. You're now within one, a, a three and four record heads up. You did have Antonio Brown, who was the major scorer this last week. And if you had him, you probably cashed in the millionaire maker. So congratulations to you. I'm looking forward to see what you have in your lineup this week. Hopefully you don't copycat me again this week. Uh, but let's go ahead and get into the lineups. All right, I'm going to go ahead with a little trend. At quarterback, I'm going to start with David Carr. He's having a pretty good last couple of weeks. Uh, him and Amari Cooper are definitely on the same page. Uh, who do you have at your quarterback? I went ahead and took Matthew Stafford, who's coming off a bye week and playing Green Bay, who's going to be looking to put up some points. I just want to let you know, after you dogged Stafford a few weeks ago, you selected him in your fantasy twice. <laughs> He's a numbers guy. He doesn't lead your team to victories. And I think I his numbers prove both of those things. <laughs> All right, at my, running, at my running back position, I have two replacement running backs. I have D'Angelo Williams. He had a good week last week. Also, I have LeGarrette Blunt. He also had a good week last week. We know that Bell is gone for the season, and the Patriots just lost their starting running back, Deion Lewis. So both of them will get a lot of carries. I think we're we're not taking any chances here. I agree with what you said. I took Todd Gurley, who is, in my opinion, the best uh, running back in football right now. And I also took D'Angelo Williams. Uh, this will lead me into stat three. We, we already talked about Cleveland's inability to stop the run. Pittsburgh is averaging 5.1 yards per rush at home. It's one of the best numbers in the NFL. Cleveland is, is allowing 4.9 yards per carry on the road, one of the worst in the NFL. Stat 3. Cleveland's opponents average 20% more yards per carry against Cleveland than their season average. That means with that logic, Pitt may run for 6.1 yards per carry, which would make D'Angelo Williams an absolute must-start. As far as my wide receivers... I took Aiken for the Baltimore Ravens, kind of going off your theory. With Steve Smith out, uh, he's going to get more targets. He is the number one, and I think he's also the most athletic wide receiver that Baltimore has. Uh, I went with Des Bryant. It's clear that they're going to try to get him the ball. And I went with Golden Tate, who's coming off the bye week, and I stacked him with Matt Stafford, and 
his numbers are just too poor for it to continue, and I'm looking for him to have a breakout game. What about you? Who do you have at wide receiver, Chase? I took my Streetlight Award winner. I have Allen Robinson. Had to shout out the guys that won awards for me. Him and Cam both got shout-outs again this week. <laughs> also, I took Deshaun Jackson. Last week was his first game back from that hamstring injury. I think he should be loose this week, and also they're going to be playing against New Orleans, so that's going to be a shootout, hopefully. Also, I did some stacking there. I, I matched Carl with Amari Cooper. I'm pretty sure you figured that out from when I said I was talking about Carl earlier. At tight end, I went ahead with another red skin, surprisingly, uh, Josh Reed. But he's definitely a solid tight end with a wide receiver skill set. At my tight end, I took Julius Thomas. Uh, it looks like they targeted him in the end zone a couple times. And if Jacksonville is going to score, they're going to have to get it to either Robinson or uh, Julius Thomas, as I believe Hearns is ailing. Uh, for my flex, I went and took Jonathan Stewart, a running team, against a very bad Tennessee team. Uh, he should get a lot of carries. Sticking with the NFC East team, why, I don't know. I took DeMarco Murray in my flex, but they're definitely giving DeMarco Murray his touches now, and he's been fighting the end zone. And to go ahead and round up my defense, I took the Pittsburgh Steelers. They play Cleveland. Hopefully Cleveland stinks it up again, and the Steelers can rack up some defensive points for yeah, me. Yeah, I did the same thing. I stacked my defense with the running back. I took the St. Louis Rams, hoping that they shut down the uh, the Bears who offer a short week, and then D'Angelo Williams gets a bunch of carries to run out the clock. So that is our lineups for week 10. We will see how we do, and we hope we make you some money in the Millionaire Maker. Now, each week, we want to give you an against-the-spread pick. We are, we are currently 4-2-1 and one on the year. You let me down last week. I did let you down last week. I did not see that coming. <laughs> I, I guess I could have seen us not covering the spread, but an outright Jacksonville win is uh, pretty embarrassing, so I'm looking to rebound right now. Uh, with that said, 4-2-1 and one is a good record, still winning 66%, and I'm looking to win again. This week, I'm targeting the Baltimore Ravens are set to host the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jaguars don't look like the least talented team in the NFL to me, but they do only come in with two wins. I do think Jaguars have more talent in, than they have in years past, but they aren't going to win this game. The Baltimore Ravens still believe they are in playoff contention because the AFC wildcards are wide open, even though they only have two wins themselves. We've already talked in the previous episodes how brutal the Ravens' schedule was to open the year. Five of their first seven games were on the road. All but one of those were long flights to the West Coast. They've had two back-to-back road trips. But now, the reverse of that, they're going to reap those benefits. They're at home for six of their last nine. And more importantly, this week, they're coming off a bye. This episode, we talked about the importance of coaches. And that will continue all the way through my against-the-spread pick. How a team performs on the bye is an indication of how good the coach is. It's more time to prepare, more time to scheme and find holes in your opponent's play. The extra time allows you to find advantages. Coach John Harbaugh has shown he uses the bye week very effectively. Step four. I'm ready. Step four. The Ravens are going to win this game because of the extra week of preparation. Because Jacksonville is on back-to-back. This makes for the perfect strong move for the Ravens. The Ravens will win by double digits as their past performance off buys have proven. The Ravens will win by double digits as their past performance of off buys have proven. Stat four. The Ravens are six and one off the bye week. In their six victories, they have scored twenty-eight points while allowing only thirteen. That is a margin of victory of fifteen points per game. The Ravens are going to win this game because of the extra week of preparation. Because Jacksonville is on back-to-back road games. This makes a strong move for the Ravens, who will win by double digits as their past performance off-bys have proven. 
I like the Ravens' ability to run the ball this game. They employ a zone run scheme, just like the Houston Texans, who face the Jaguars twice a year. Over the last three matchups with the Texans and that zone run schemes, Jacksonville has allowed the Texans to run for 129 yards per game, 1.3 touchdowns per game. The Ravens should be able to move the ball on the ground as well through the air as Jacksonville ranks 25th in the league versus the pass. Ravens win behind Harbaugh and the extra week of preparation. That is my pick for week 10. Well, I'm not going to start fading you yet, so I'm going to go with you. Plus, I wouldn't bet a dime on Jacksonville. We all know you're the worst team in the state. Yeah, I don't think they're the worst team in the NFL, though. Uh, we've talked about their wide receivers at Jacksonville, and it does seem like they're they're making some progress. I just think this is a bad spot for them. Definitely. Not the worst in the NFL, but definitely the worst in the Sunshine State. My final period for today is that not only is Archie Manning the most popular father in the NFL, but you might want to start hiring him as your agent. If you don't remember, he forced a trade for his son not to go to San Diego and traded for Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers is the leading passer in the NFL, and they have lost five games in a row. Just think about if Eli Manning was in San Diego right now and what would be going on. They would probably be worse. So I want to just give a shout out to my man, Archie Manning. You might want to hire him for some more deals. (laughs) That's a very valid point, and it does make you think. Uh, That's all for this week. We appreciate you listening. We hope that you contact us on Twitter at Four Stats Podcast. You're welcome to ask for fantasy advice. Just get it in by Saturday. If you want to be a guest on another program or want to sponsor any segment or the entire show, please email me at fourstatsforsuccess at gmail.com. It's always the number four, never the preposition. That's all for us, you degenerates, and we hope that you cash this ticket this, with us this weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. Chase signing off. Bye, y'all.